What's up, podcast listeners? It's Matt coming to you with another episode of the Millennial Travel Podcast, my new series celebrating the launch of the Millennial Travel Guidebook. Escape more, spend less, and make travel a priority in your life. You can hear my daughter screaming in the background. That is, of course, because, uh, well, we're all at home and. Uh, this episode was recorded pre-COVID when I was down in Costa Rica, and uh, I reached out to the very smartest people that I could find and travel to talk to them about how to really maximize your travels, how to get the most out of your money, the most out of your miles, and uh, what we can what we can do to just become better travelers travel travel like a pro and this guy absolutely is a pro travels for both business and pleasure so I am talking to him today you may hear some a little bit of background noise on this episode which is in fact I believe some monkeys came by to hang out uh, as well as you'll probably hear uh, all sorts of jungle noises uh, as well, but uh, nothing like my daughter screaming in the background, that's for sure. So uh, also, I wanted to say we have more women coming on the podcast. I am uh, pretty sensitive to the ratio that we are putting out, and we want to uh, put out more episodes by inspiring women in travel. So if you have any recommendations for people you'd like to see on the podcast, send me an email, matt at under30experiences.com. Thanks a lot. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today we are here with Mark Peacock. He is an experienced traveler and host of the Travel Commons podcast. He sounds like he is on the road quite a lot, and his podcast uh, and, well, personality came highly recommended from Craig and Linda Martin, previous guests of ours. And, uh, yeah, Mark, I'm just excited to get to know you here on the air and see where things go. So welcome. Hey, Matt, thanks very much for, uh, thanks very much for having me. Of looking course. Forward to, looking forward to the chat. Of course. So for people who don't know uh, about yourself, uh, could you give them a, a little bit of your story and how you came to uh, talk? Yeah, how you came to have this podcast and uh, really kind of talk about your journey rather than the, the destination. I know <laughs> that was your tagline for a while. <laughs> so, I, you know, man, I have uh, I have traveled all my life um, for business, and even before that for uh, for uh, personal travel. But uh, primarily, when I first got out of uh, when I got out of business school uh, out of the University of Chicago, the first day of my first job was hopping on an airplane and flying from Chicago to Dallas. And so, uh, and that was back in the uh, back in the mid '80s, back in the dark ages. And, uh -huh. uh, and it's it's been that way ever since. So. Um, I've, I've always, uh, I've always, uh, written, uh, I, I used to, uh, while, even while, while working, while working as a, uh, as a consultant working even before then as, uh, in, uh, in, in, in industry, uh, I always would write, I wrote a, a business column for an alternative, uh, newspaper when I lived in Philadelphia. And so in and about right around 2005, um, I had I kind of gathered a notebook full of, of travel stories, and in about 2005, I thought, well, you know, I'm I'm going to do a blog because this blogging thing seems to be happening. And right as I was about ready to start that, I kind of tripped across the concept of, of podcasts, and that was just I mean that was sort of ground zero on it. Adam Curry and a bunch of people were 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 just starting that, and so I and I had been. In, in high school, I had been in radio broadcasting. I had done, um, I, I had been a, a disc jockey and been in, uh, done voiceover work. And I thought, well, now this will be fun. This would be a, uh, a way to kind of mash together both the writing and the, uh, uh, you know, and the radio broadcasting and the voice work, which I, I hadn't done for a long time and enjoy. And so that's how I got started. 
Marriott. I recorded the first episode in the bathroom because I wanted to get a little bit of that reverb from the uh, uh, from the tile. And that's <laughs> uh, and I've been doing it ever since. I, and I look back, uh, look back. I was I, I've just been surprised that I've just kept it going this long. It started 2005 in the Wardman Park Marriott outside of uh, out, uh, outside of uh, Washington D.C. Um, and uh, and I ended up doing it in the uh, in the bathroom because I wanted to try and get some of the reverb off of the uh, off of the bathroom tile. So uh, I'm kind of frightened to go back and listen to that uh, listen to that episode. But uh, but yeah, it's been I, I always surprise myself at how long I've uh, how long I've been doing it, and I still manage to come up with content, so I still keep doing it. <laughs> good good for you. Yeah, I actually you'll be happy to know I went way back in the archives and listened to your first three minute clip where you introduced the podcast, and you have the clips from. Uh, from the different hotel and even airport bathrooms, it sounds like, uh, which is yeah. which is pretty hilarious. I assume uh, that you're no longer in the bathrooms. Is that right? Yeah, that is true. I feel like I've upgraded. Um, <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I've I've come I've come out. Actually, I do most of. I, I still do some. Um, I still do some. Uh, uh, some of the podcasts on the road just depends on uh, on my schedule. Uh, but actually, uh, most of the time now, I'm, I'm actually able to schedule it so that I can uh, I can do it here in uh, here in the, what I call the Travel Common Studios outside of Chicago, Illinois. Excellent, excellent, and um, yeah, actually, I'd love for you know a lot of our people who are listening are are young folks between ages 21 to 35, and uh, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, doing something since 2005, I'm 33, <laughs> which you know I'm not I'm not 23, but I'm not exactly old. <laughs> So doing something since 2005 to me, that would have been my uh, my freshman year of college, I think. So <laughs> tell me, tell me what kept you going and how you've been able to be so consistent, because that's that's really uh, that's really impressive. Well, I think there's a couple of things, Matt. First of all, because I travel. Uh, a lot for uh, for work. Uh, there are times there are times where I'll be traveling. Uh, you know, sort of four days a week for, uh, you know, for uh, months on end. And there have been some years where I was literally able to count. I was able to count that I had I had not I had traveled all but six weeks in a year. Now, some of that now some of that would have been personal travel for vacation. But there have been some, you know, some years where there's been just very heavy travel. And I go back and I look at it and go, wow, yes, it was. Um, So that gives you a lot of content. Sure. And, and so and and part of part of getting that content, though, is is actually paying attention to what's going on around you. And that is, I guess, being an active observer uh, as opposed to uh, as opposed to just letting letting things wash over you and letting things happen. So for me, I always travel with a uh, with, I always have a notebook with me and uh, I'll be we just kind of. In you know, kind of in the moment, uh, watching things happen, uh, you know, or or being in the middle of something, and I'll just think to myself, well, this is an interesting story, and that's that's really how I started with Travel Commons. Was I had a notebook that I would write down travel stories, and uh, and after a while, it just it, it just turned into the uh, it turned it turned into the uh, in, into the podcast. That's and, great. I, and I guess the other thing is, is after a while, when you get a set of listeners, and I've had some listeners who have been with me since 2005, um, you, there is, I, I feel a commitment there. I feel like they've been along for this ride for a while, and uh, and it, and and I would, I could disappoint them if I uh, if I stopped. I'll have to stop sometime, but uh, <laughs> I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> Wow, good, good for you. And uh, it, it's really interesting. I find airplanes a to be a very creative place. I am not a person who can truly take out their computer and get too much done. You know, I can't. I mean, I can do it, but I would much rather read and write uh, during that time. And I've heard stand-up comedians say this, and I've heard you know other people who who like to write that. It uh, something about just being surrounded by in this little tube with all these funny people. Kind of, you're in a forced, awkward 
situation, if you will. And uh, to me, it does get the creative juices flowing and even that kind of ability to zoom out to, well, not to be cliche, but 35,000 feet. Uh, <laughs> it, do you feel do you feel the same way? I I do. I and, and actually, if I think about it, uh, I used to do a chunk of work on airplanes. I would pick up, uh, you know, whip out the laptop and get things done. Uh, and indeed, there would be times where I would be uh, flying to San Francisco for uh, for a week's worth of work out on the West Coast. So from Chicago to San Francisco, four hours, and, and I'd be cranking away. We'd be coming in uh, coming into final approach. I go like, oh, wait a minute, I'm not done yet. <laughs> uh, uh, however, <laughs> uh, you know, however, the uh, especially recently with the increased uh, increased utilization uh, that uh, that uh, airlines have have gotten out of their uh, uh, out of their aircraft, so. You know, passenger loads passenger loads are up in the at least for last year were up in the upper 80s or well upper 70s lower 80s, and I think we've all realized that when we've how rare it is now to have a middle seat or have a seat next to you uh, unoccupied. Um, so not only are there more people on the plane, of course they're shrinking the width of the plane. Uh, I'm not shrinking, but the seats are shrinking, um, <laughs> and they're compressing, and they're and they're stuffing in more rows, so they're compressing the uh, the space between the rows. I actually find it very very difficult just to just to actually to be able to open a uh, open a laptop and work given the crowded situation. So sure. um so I I actually do the same thing. I actually save a lot of uh, a lot of reading and a lot of writing uh for uh for airplanes uh, as well as listening to podcasts. I I will tell you though uh, for me um and especially when I'm on the road I think the place where I get the most writing done is actually in a bar okay uh, and then that <laughs> you go really huh? well you know because a lot of time you're on your you're on your own i'm i'm you know i'll, I'll be uh, i'll be doing work myself and at the end of the day i uh, you know okay i'm gonna go go find some place to eat it's it's sort of awkward it's always been awkward to sit at a table for one i mean it does just kind of call you out as being <laughs> you know as being the loner um and so early on um, even before it became popular, it's much more popular now, but before it became popular, I would always tend to eat at the, uh, at the bar and, and you would have an opportunity then to talk to the bartender, talk to the people around you. Uh, but I often found that that was, that was a good place to just kind of sit down, open an, open a notebook and just jot through ideas. And, and maybe it is, as you were saying, because you're in, you're in an, you're in an isolated situation but you're not by yourself. So you don't have a companion to talk to. There's typically not somebody to talk to. Um, you're there by yourself. Uh, and so there is some, you know, kind of, there is some isolation, but you're out and about. So there are things happening and you can observe things. So sure. I don't know, that's my spin on it. <laughs> no, I, I, I think, uh, yeah. And it, of course it's whatever works for, for people. And um, I think now it's more popular for, that every restaurant seems to have or every little cafe seems to have internet so to show up with by yourself and your laptop well then it's you've got your companion yeah. you know you've got your uh your social media or or, or whatever but um actually it, i find it challenging at a bar sometimes just to chat with the people around you because they often are just looking down at their phones trying not to be awkward or you know what I mean like I like I like going up to a bar because you can just chat with the bartender and get the local scoop and then there might be somebody having a side conversation it doesn't you know I don't mind chiming in or whatever but uh yeah it's a it, it's I, I like that you have a pen you're still a pen and paper guy I am I am a pen and paper guy um I there is just something physical there's there's something about the physicality of being able to sort of go and just put pen to paper and I'm I'm just old school that way good good for you well uh, Mark if you can hear in the background I am here in Costa Rica at the moment <laughs> and uh, did, could you hear those birds in the I background? could those were great <laughs> yeah they they give a little ambiance to the to the listener I would say um, <laughs> so hey I wanted to so I wanted to ask you 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 seem well 
I know that you're a hardcore business traveler, and so uh, I'd love to know what that looks like. Uh, are you are you always up in first class because you just have so many miles, or the client is paying, or are you always in the lounges? Uh, what does your are you you're probably just speeding through the through the TSA with TSA pre-check, and what's your what's your kind of uh, day in the day in the life? Uh, uh, what's a travel day look like for you? Well, I think, you know, to your point, when you do a lot of travel, there's two things. Number one, you have a routine um, and, and, and you kind of, or the airports that you frequent often, your home airports, for me, tends to be O'Hare Airport here in Chicago. You know those airports really, really well, like to the point of, you know, you know which lines to hit uh, going in from a security standpoint, you know you know which Starbucks to hit. You know where the where even where the water fountains are. So sure. so from that standpoint, you've got you know you just you get in a groove and you have a groove and and actually so typically if, uh, frequent traveler business traveler rush hour is Monday morning and Thursday night. And so the people who are going through the airport say between six a.m. and nine a.m. on Monday morning. The vast majority of them are very seasoned travelers who regularly travel, and actually, I always advise um, I always advise friends of mine when they're when they're going to uh, to, to take a family trip. I said, "Don't fly out Monday morning." I said, "It will just be bad for you because there will be a whole lot of people that are just marching. They are they're on a mission. They know exactly what they do. They've got their they've they've got their routine. They know what everything is. And if you and your three ki- and wife who doesn't travel that much and three kids yeah. who are just like getting ready to go to Disney, get in the middle of that, it's just not going to be a happy time. So <laughs> I I know what you're saying. <laughs> So, um, so, and that does happen. And yes, you actually do. It's worth your while to um, to invest in, say, TSA pre-check, uh, because because now all of a sudden, you know, you'll move through security. You'll be through that security line in five minutes or ten minutes, as opposed to you know twenty minutes. And then you're not having to take a, you know as much stuff off, and so you don't have to think about that. That reduces the chance of forgetting something at security and things like that. So, so you you look for as many kind of sh- as many shortcuts as uh, as you can. TSA PreCheck was a, is a great one. Um, before that, um, uh, there was always uh, always uh, getting status, having status uh, for with an airline, so you could get in kind of the premier or premium lines, which would a tend to be shorter, and b the people in there tended to know what was going on. And, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that is, you know, they 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 weren't waiting until they got right up to the uh, screening machine to start, uh, you know, to figure out what they were going to take off. I mean, people were starting to get like sorted and and prepared even in line before they even got up there. So there's a, a smoothness to that. Um, I, you know, the the lounges, I, I will tend, to, sometimes I go in and out on lounges. So um, uh, oftentimes what I do is, especially for O'Hare, I actually rarely hit the lounges in O'Hare unless there's a delay because I've got my timing down. And right. so I know, I'm, I'm just trying to minimize the amount of time that I'm actually in the airport because you know that's sort of lost time as far as I spend as much time at home as I can and then minimize the amount of time that I'm in O'Hare and then get on the airplane and then go um you know sometimes that works out sometimes that doesn't um so I always you know you you, you pick it you typically pick an airline you typically focus on that airline and then you'll go with the uh with the lounges that that associate with that um, and that that ends up working working fine. I used to, I used to get um, upgraded, and and a lot of us who who had um, uh, upper levels of status with um, uh, with airlines, we used to get upgraded a lot more. Um, two things: uh, number one, some of those uh, some of the stat tiers, some of the status tiers are sort of getting flooded with um, with credit card with people getting the credit cards, the, yeah. the airline associated credit cards. The other thing that's happening though is that the airlines are actually much more interested in selling those seats, even for discounted first class or or, or if you're 
or if you buy a full fare economy uh, ticket and then get bumped up, they're much more interested in in extracting uh, incremental revenue than um, uh, than giving an upgrade to a uh, of a frequent flyer. So uh, a lot of us have talked over the past couple of years that the amount of upgrades that we're seeing has uh, has dwindled significantly. But um, even with that, sometimes what I will do is, is some of the airlines, and in, in, uh, at least in the U.S., the domestic airlines, and I, I think American and United, which I tend to fly more of because they have hubs here in Chicago, um, the, a lot of times the front part of those planes will have, uh, United calls it uh, Economy Plus, I think American calls it um, main extra i forget they've changed that name a couple of times but there's um the, the those seats even though they're in coach or in economy they have more leg room and so uh, always shoot to upgrade or, or get into uh, pick those seats so yeah you're not in first class but um but you got but you have more leg room and more stretch out room which which actually i think it gets to be a bit more important so you, know, you do that again you have your you have your you, you have your process um, I find I'm, I'm renting fewer cars with, uh, with Uber. Um, it used to be if I was just going into someplace for a day trip, if it wasn't in the city where I could take a cab to, um, then you end up having to rent a car. And that, that ends up, again, kind of chewing up time. You're looking at at least a half hour, uh, both on the way out and the way back, uh, just dealing with the car, car or the rental car pickup and return. So Uber and Lyft have really helped on that. Um, but if I'm someplace, if I'm someplace not in a city, um, maybe more in a suburban location, and I'm going to be there two or three days, I still will rent a car just because I want, I, I, I want some personal control. I want some personal freedom to be able to, to go and you know kind of drive around and look at the look at places and look for restaurants and stuff like that. Sure, that, that makes sense. And in, uh, well, first of all, I never thought of the fact that uh, Uber and Lyft would be really strong competitors to rental car companies. So they must be oh, really yeah. hurting with the popularity of that. I never gave that too much thought. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just so much more more convenient. And uh, are you are you stopping to fill up the rental car on the way back with gasoline? I I, I absolutely do, unless I am completely pressed for time because I just you know I, I just can't pay ten I, I I can't pay somebody ten bucks a gallon for <laughs> for right for a, uh, you know, to, to to top off the tank when it's when. Most of the times, it's sort of right there, you know, right, right there by the, uh, right there by the airport. I was in, uh, I was coming back from uh, Florida. I was in Fort Myers Airport, driving into Fort Myers Airport uh, Tuesday afternoon, and I'm driving in off the access road on I-75, and boom, right there is the, uh, right there is a gas station. I just pull in, fill up, and then uh, continue on the access road to the rental car return. And it just, it, it, it seems just a bit like sheer laziness not to do that. Sure. And, and I think uh, there are some companies that will let you lock in like a $3 a gallon something currently. Yeah. If you're listening to this, you know, gas prices might be around $2 a gallon wherever you're, uh, wherever you're listening, depending on your state. But uh, yeah, you might be able to lock in a decent price where if it's a, you know, 18 gallon tank on a big car, you might be might be paying 20 bucks extra but uh yeah it, it's and it's certainly so much easier these days with your google maps and your ways mm -hmm. and all this to find a gas station you know in the old days you had to really drive around and hunt one down and you know yeah. be looking at your yeah. watch the whole time no exactly well and a lot of uh, a lot of airports have put um gas stations like i said right or, or near on property uh denver um uh, Denver Airport is uh, is has a uh, has a huge gas station. Of course, when they first built that, it was in the middle of nowhere. There was nothing out at the new airport. There was nothing out there. So, if you didn't um, if you didn't fill up 
I mean, there was no place to fill up. And so they actually had to put that gas station there. So, so, and they get some, they get a revenue cut out of it. So sure. it ends up being a good thing for them. Sure. It's, they're, they're definitely not uh, dropping the prices to compete with anybody. They know they're just mm. dinging people for a few more sets of gallon and, uh, and good for them, I guess. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's, it still makes, it, it still makes sense. Cause even, even if you, as you said, you lack in the price for, um, uh, for uh, for a tank, um, and and those are usually when you do that, they're usually um, actually very competitive for uh, to the local market. But what you're what you're doing is is you're paying for a full tank of gas, even though they're not having to fill it up to a full tank of gas. Because it's not like you're it's not like you're going to drain that that tank uh, to empty. Um, and so that whole play is is okay. Well, they're going to charge me for a tank of gas. How much of that? How much am I using of that tank? Am I yes. going to use? Am I going to take it down to you know an eighth of a an eighth of a uh, eighth of a tank or not? So that that sometimes that that calculus for me sometimes is a bit much, and that's why even if I'm going to drive it a lot, where I would actually go through a tank of gas rather than trying to have to figure out am I going to drain this thing or not? I just thought, like, oh, forget it. I'll just fill the blade. You know, I'll just fill the thing up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You might as well. Hey, Mark, I, I just wanted to let you know your uh, microphone might be, your, your headset might be rubbing against a zipper okay. or something. I'm getting a little Got feedback. Got it. It could be. Okay. Here. All right. Here. Let me, let me bend over. No, no, no worries. <laughs> um, okay. So Mark, uh, you are quite a storyteller and I don't want to put you, I don't want to put you on the spot, uh, but do you have any, favorites or do you have one maybe that was a turning point where you said you know i want to do this for a long time this is really fun uh you, you have any in mind um uh, oh just of uh, uh, uh well i have a lot of like i said i have a lot of i have a lot of travel stories and the funny thing is once you get around to tell doing travel the travel stories a lot of times We'll sit around and people swap travel stories. Sure. Uh, I remember uh, one time I was I was talking with my uh, my dad and I were talking. My dad did a lot of travel. He was a uh, uh, he was a design engineer and used to for farm equipment and used to go out to uh, uh, travel a lot to uh, to test out the equipment. He told me this one time where uh, where they uh, the, they landed a plane and it was a uh, it was a uh, uh, it, it was kind of a uh, unplanned landing, and it, everybody said, "Well, don't worry, everything's okay. It'll everything will be okay. Uh, everything's fine, no problem." And they they walked out of the plane, and there was a woman walking in front of my father. And they walked both walked down the down the jetway, and they looked up, and one of the one of the jets, and this was kind of like a DC nine, so the, the the jets in the back, one of them had completely blown off the plane. And the woman in front of him looked over, looked over at that, and just passed out right, right, the, right, right <laughs> down the stairs. My dad luckily grabbed her. He said, "He said, yeah, that he said that got my attention a little bit." <laughs> so, oh my god! There, there was, um, you know, there was a, uh, there was a time I was, uh, and, and something similar because I, I told the story, I had told him the story. We had been. Uh, we had been uh, uh, flying. I was flying into. Uh, I can't remember where I was flying into, but but the uh, the pilot gets on and he says, "Well, I'm not getting. I'm I'm not getting a down and locked indication on the landing gear. So oh, I'm going to do a fly around to you know, to the to fly around the uh, uh, fly around the tower so they can visually look and see whether <laughs> the gear is down. <laughs> like, okay, well, all right, that makes sense. And so he does the fly around and he says, okay. He says, "Okay, we're we're coming in for a landing, and the uh, we're going to land now. So the uh, the flight attendants are going to instruct everybody on how to do the uh, how to get into the crash position." Mm. What he forgot to tell us was, "A, so what did the what did the flight tower see? Did <laughs> yeah. they see that the flight the gear was down or not? And what happens like?" You know, it, is it locked or not? So, so everybody's kind of obviously a very tense uh, cockpit, and so he, the, the the pilot lands, goes down. You can feel it. Everybody's okay, waiting, waiting, waiting. You know, you've got that 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 anticipation of touching down, and so a we touch down, and everybody can feel like we're on wheels. So it's like, oh, okay, that's good. But then there's that additional anticipation of now 
you know, now the full weight of the plane is on the landing gear. And everybody waited for probably three seconds and like, oh, okay, it didn't collapse. And just <laughs> hugely broke out. And the whole plane just breaks out breaks out in uh, you know, in hysterics and cheers and and, and applause. God, so it, I bet. It, that was funny where I'm sure that pilot, as he was going through what he was going through, didn't quite realize that he had forgotten to convey um, some key material or some, some key content to the rest of us in the back of the plane. Yeah, I, I don't think customer service was at the top of his mind at that point. No, and, and we were all okay. I mean, you know, we all understood it. It was just, it was funny that the way it was, and just watching the flight attendants, because the flight attendants felt the same thing. They were all looking, they were, of course, they're in the seats, you know, facing us in the jump seats. They're all looking around going, what is going on? Well, you know, okay, what's going to happen? So that was, um, that was, the, the, there are, there are funny you know, funny tales uh, sometimes along the uh, along the road. Yeah, I can I can imagine. I have to ask: uh, Are you ever scared to fly? Um, no, no, I'm actually not. And and I guess maybe that's the engineer in me that that understands the um, understands the uh, the probability and understands you know what goes what goes into the you know what goes into the maintenance what goes you know what, what what's happening. And and also, quite uh, with rare exceptions, the people who are flying the planes, you know, they they're not going to take those planes up unless they feel they're safe. Because if it goes down, they're going down with it. Now, sure. you know, th- now there have been a couple of situations where um, you know where pilots have been suicidal, and we, there was one in Egypt, and I think that the whole uh, Malaysia Air. A uh, flight that disappeared. I think that was. Uh, I think the consensus on that is is you had a uh, you had a pilot there who who was going to take his own life and unfortunately took oh. you know hundreds of people with him. But those are, I mean, those are very rare situations. And, and I guess at the end of the day, you just you know, if if you were worried about, I mean, if you think about the probability of that and the chances of that, if you were worried about those sorts of things, I mean, you know, there are a hell of a lot of other things that'll that'll do you in before that will. So you'd never leave your house if you were that concerned. <laughs> yeah, makes uh, makes sense. You have, are you ever able to spot like a U.S. Air Marshal or anybody uh, on the plane with you? No, no, I have not. But I actually do have. Um, I have a friend who is an air marshal. Oh, and uh, and she has told me stories. Um, uh, and and actually, she started. She was in the Secret Service um, uh, and was actually on the uh, on the Clinton uh, detail for the Clinton presidency. She was on on, uh, on Bill Clinton's uh, detail. Uh, indeed, Bill actually uh, Bill and Hillary were at her wedding, but. Um, but she tells a uh, tells a story of, uh, of of sitting you know sitting in a first class seat. Uh, they tend to sit up. Uh, air marshals tend to sit up front, uh, obviously, so they can very quickly get to uh, protect the cockpit if something uh, happens. Um, and they're in assigned seats so that the so everybody knows. I mean, the flight crew, everybody knows. Okay, here you know in four C. Um, you know that's the air marshal. So if they need to go and get uh, get to uh, the, the, you know, him or her, uh, so happened uh, that, and they're obviously always in aisles. And so, uh, so she told told us a story one time where um, where a very well known um, uh, very well known uh, uh, political commentator on one of the cable channels um, came came, uh, came onto the plane. And uh, and wanted to change seats with her uh, because uh, you know b- because he wanted to sit who- next to whoever was uh, who-, who was on the window, and she couldn't. She said, "I, I you know, she said, sorry, I can't do that." And and this person got very very irate and very vocal, and she just sat there and said, "Dude, um, we're going to stop. We're, you know, if I move." This whole plane will be delayed because there's all the paperwork and everything uh, that that had to do with her being in that seat and everybody knowing that it was her in that seat. And uh, and this person just finally, after literally after ten minutes of ranting at her, finally took his seat and uh, and uh, and let it move on. But but uh, uh, you know, it, it's 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 interesting sometimes what happens. 
Oh, geez. Did, did she, was she allowed to say, hey, I'm a U.S. Marshal. I, I can't move. I'm not going anywhere, No, buddy. no, she couldn't. No, she couldn't say that. That's right. the whole thing. Because, right. and so, uh, so she was really, that was a, she was boxed into a tough situation there, which is, so here's this person who wanted her to change seats. And by the way, when you're in first class, a lot of times people will move around and change seats all the time. So that initial request by that commentator was not an unreasonable request. Maybe you could have asked it a little nicer, but it was not, I mean, it wasn't an out of bounds request. Sure. Um, but, but once she said, but she told him, no, I can't change. Um, and, but she could not say, I can't change cause I'm an air marshal. Cause she's, because then that blows her cover and that's, you know, she's traveling, um, uh, incognito. And so, so, but normally if somebody says, Hey, I can't, no, I'm going to keep the seat. Then, uh, okay. You feel a little disappointed, but you move on down the road. But this guy, that was just wasn't going to happen. And so it, it, it became a very awkward situation, but no, I typically don't, I haven't spotted a lot of the, uh, the air marshals, um, uh, although I don't try to either. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, that, that makes sense. It, it actually reminds me of a story of a friend of mine who uh, worked in Homeland Defense somewhere, and he was in charge of uh, Southeast, like, uh, Southeast Asia and uh, mon- monitoring terrorism in that region. And he always would fly with his regular passport, uh, but he had a diplomatic passport, you know, always with him and so someone I, I forget exactly how the story went but he had some trouble uh going through tsa and they found his you know second passport and they were like well what the heck is this and underneath that passport was a book that he was reading for work on islamic fundamentalism oh, and they just oh freaked out on him so <laughs> yeah. but he, it's the same situation where he couldn't say Hey, look, I'm, you know, secret or it's not secret service isn't the right, uh, uh, whoever he worked for, uh, national security, he couldn't tell the TSA. And so it got to be really, really ugly very quickly until they took him in the back and, you know, strip searched him and all that. And I think finally he ended up just having to blow his cover. But, uh, yeah, awkward situation for sure. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I, I, I'd love to just know a, a little bit more. Um, you say you, you fly United and American, or, or, or I think you said American. Are you real loyal to uh, to those companies and, um, you know, very careful with your, your points? And is, is that when you end up traveling for leisure, do you end up specifically saving up those points and, uh, and going somewhere fun? So I, I think there's a couple of things. Not, um, you, you, when you, when you travel and focus on a specific airline, you're doing it really for two reasons. One, obviously you know, to, to generate those, those points, but B to get to, um, uh, B to get to uh, status, and and actually when you think about it, the status also then you, you'll get uh, you know bonus kickers against the points or multipliers against the points for the higher the status, uh, the more the uh, the points. So so you kind of go both you kind of go both for the uh, for the experience, the early boarding, kind of those sorts of things with status as well as. I tend to use my points for things like, um, yes, for my own travel, and it tends to be international travel. And so you're going to want to get, um, you know, those are going to take big chunks of points. And so you, you want to focus them on a, on a single airline. Um, <clears throat> this far into this far into my travel career, so, you know, like I said, having, having started in 1985, um, I've hit, I've hit, lifetime some lifetime statuses on actually american and united um as well as on marriott from a hotel standpoint so whereas a lot of folks will focus their you know focus points on a specific airline uh to maintain status i kind of am not i i don't have to do that anymore because i <laughs> right. i have that i have lifetime status on, on at least two large carriers so i i'm I'm now a little bit more about um, 
uh, about the convenience. Uh, I, I look a little bit more at the time and actually also at the equipment. So if I can avoid a regional, um, uh, you know, a, a kind of a regional jet, a smaller jet, I will. Um, if I can avo- avoid an old jet for, you know, old equipment for new equipment, I will, uh, I will do that. So I was flying back from, um, from Edinburgh, Scotland. My, uh, my daughter goes to University of St. Andrews. And so my wife and I were flying back from Edinburgh and we were looking at, at flights back and, and United has a direct flight from Edinburgh to Chicago. And it is a really old beat up 757, which is <laughs> the narrowest of narrow bodies for an eight plus hour flight. I was like, oh, and I've flown that flight before. Just like, I'm just I'm just not looking forward to that. And instead, actually, what we ended up doing was um, was catching um, a, a, a small flight from London to or from Edinburgh to London City um, on B.A. And then actually overnighting in London. Um, uh, used some Marriott points uh, for the, uh, and so had a nice dinner, and then went to Heathrow the next day and was on a brand new American 787 Dreamliner, and so that was a much, you know, a much better experience. And then, um, in uh, the, just a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last month, when I was flying from LaGuardia to Chicago right in the middle of the polar vortex and it ended up being the second lowest um temperature uh for uh in the city of chicago ever recorded so i think it was like minus 23 degrees ambient and that's fahrenheit so minus 23 degrees uh uh, that's not with wind chill and so they really um yeah so uh, uh, o'hare really had cut a lot of capacity because those people just couldn't the ground crews couldn't be out that long they had to come back for warming uh and also every plane was going to have to get um de-iced and uh, maybe multiple times so just the capacity was just down and so when i was looking uh, i i said okay well i'm going to try and move my flight up from the end of the day to the mid middle of the day because i knew there was just going to be a lot of delays and um and so when i did that i looked and I was happened to be flying United, and I looked, and United had 11 a.m., 12, uh, 12 noon, and 1 p.m. Uh, flights, and the 11 and the 1 were both regional jets, and the noon was a, uh, a you know a mainline Airbus 320, and so. Thinking about this, I knew that United was going to have was probably going to cancel the 11 and the one. Um, I, I mean, as they started taking capacity out of O'Hare, they preferentially canceled the 11 o'clock and the one o'clock because they're just smaller planes, um, w- which means then they were not going to cancel the noon because they were going to take those people on the 11 and the one and try and get as many of them onto the uh, onto the noon flight. So I booked myself onto the noon flight and. Sure as heck, when I walked into uh, LaGuardia the next morning, that's exactly how it played out. They had, or, before I even walked into the, before I even got into LaGuardia, they had already canceled the 11 and the 1. Um, and that noon flight ended up being delayed by two and a half hours. Just, and, and that was completely, uh, uh, you know, a, a matter of just having ground crews um, being able to you know, stay out in the, in the bitter cold and do the, de- and do the de-icing. Um, but, but I did get home that day. And so, <laughs> so that was, um, you know, that's, that's a, uh, that, that was a matter of, of strategically looking at, uh, looking at equipment and thinking about what was going to happen. Uh, that, that's great. Uh, well, now why didn't they cancel the one o'clock? I would have thought that they would have tried to combine the 11 o'clock people, the 12 o'clock people, and just delayed them and all got on the one o'clock plane if there was room. Because- well, because the one o'clock plane was a smaller regional jet, ah, right, as right, was the right. eleven o'clock. So, yes, you would think that. I mean, if they were all the same plane, it might that might make sense. But but they the, the eleven and the one were both um, were both small uh, regional jets, and so whereas the noon flight was a mainline, uh, like I said, an Airbus, and uh, and and they canceled that um, that one o'clock. They canceled the 11 and the 1. I mean, they canceled those things first thing in the morning. Uh, and, and so there was – and they would have been giving notification to the 1 o'clock, the folks on the 1 o'clock, that they were, um, that they were canceled. And so those folks had more than enough time, uh, you know, more than enough notice to, to be able to get to uh, LaGuardia earlier for the noon flight. 
No, that that makes sense. And uh, I actually wanted to ask about you your ex experience on the Dreamliner and if you've flown Airbus's new version. I can't remember uh, which which it is, but it's their competitor to the Dreamliner. And if you had a preference, yeah, it's like it's like the A three fifty. I have not flown that yet. I have not had a chance to f to fly that. Um, I've flown the Dreamliner. I think it's nice. I think I've flown just about everything else um, between a Boeing and an Airbus. Um, but I have not flown, uh, I have not flown the new, um, uh, I think it's a 350. Uh, I, I just, I, I haven't, uh, I think, I think Delta is getting some of those now. Uh, but I haven't, I, I haven't flown those. Now the, the, uh, the, the Dreamliner I think is a nice plane and I think it has, um, and, and I, and, and I think the way they've designed it with the kind of, kind of, cutaway or sort of flow away um, uh, overhead bins, it, it feels a little bit more spacious. So they've been smart on the ways that they've used, um, that, that they've designed the overhead to give it, to give it a little bit more of an airy feeling. Um, but at the end of the day, it's less about what Boeing does and more about how the, uh, how the airlines uh, configure it. And, um, and they, they're going to, they're going to, at least in economy, they're going to try and cram as many seats in those things as they can. And, uh, and so, so at some point it's sort of like, okay, yeah, it's great. But, uh, if you're, if you're on a newer plane, um, uh, at least more things will work. <laughs> sure. Well, and fewer things will be broken is my, uh, is my sense. No, that, that makes sense. And actually, uh, the way that it's designed, it's supposed to be a better in-flight experience as far as the humidity in the air and the pressurization and you're, you know, on a transatlantic flight, uh, you're supposed to actually feel better when, when you get off. I don't know if you had that experience. I, I haven't, but I've talked to people who've flown them to Asia. So I think like, I, I think like United has got, uh, will take them to secondary cities. Um, so I know like United will take a Dreamliner between say Denver and Tokyo, whereas between Chicago and Tokyo, they're still going to fly a 747 because you got enough, um, because you got enough, uh, uh, enough people for it. Um, but, uh, but say like between Denver and Tokyo or between San Francisco and say Chengdu, uh, they're flying 787s. And, I, I wasn't able to notice a big difference uh, on sort of that eight-hour flight from London to Chicago, uh, but I think perhaps if you're on a 14-hour flight, that just that just starts to get really long, and uh, and so perhaps there that's where really the kind of the the higher humidity uh, the, the higher humidity that the composite material allows. And the um, and the lower and, and the ability to, to pressurize at a lower pressure, so there's it, there's a little bit more oxygen um, in the air, and again a little bit more humidity and moisture. Um, maybe uh, and I've talked to folks who've, who've flown them over to uh, to Asia, and they they absolutely can tell the difference. Um, I haven't noticed it, but it just could be just you know eight hours might not be as you know long enough for me to notice it, or I just just maybe completely oblivious to it <laughs> yeah I, I took uh i went austin to gatwick on norwegian on the dreamliner mm. and uh yeah i had a i had a nice experience uh, economy on the way there but norwegian does this economy plus or whatever i don't know what it's mm -hmm. called but it's it's literally the first class seats except it's it's bare bare bones first class you just get a nice right. seat that reclines and everything <laughs> else is is normal but that's all you really want for a 10-hour flight is just to be comfortable for god's sakes and it wasn't uh it wasn't particularly expensive just like kind of premium economy economy mm -hmm. pricing and i was i was quite happy with it oh great that's yeah. great yeah, well, uh, Mark, before I let you go, I want to uh, do some rapid-fire questions with you. Are you ready? Absolutely. All right. I would love to know your favorite uh, airport in the United States. Wow. I I would say it's interesting. I, I actually think right now I'll, I'll get even past just the airport and, and the specific terminal. Terminal 2 in San Francisco right now is my favorite place to fly in and out of 
Um, they they actually tore it down and completely rebuilt it. Um, and now American flies in and out of there, as did uh, Virgin America before um, before Alaska bought them. But that is a that's a great um, a, a, a great terminal. Uh, there's great food and 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 bar capabilities. There's a, a great space for um, uh, great space for um, uh, for uh, for security. So that, you know it's not an awkward security situation. So that right now is is sort of my my favorite. And and so actually I will preferentially if I can fly American into into SFO. Even though it's a United hub, I'll I'll try and fly American in there just so I'm going in and out of Terminal Two there. Cool. It, that's so. That's American's terminal, not United's terminal. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, because I flew uh, back from Asia and I had a layover in San Francisco on United, and they had that uh, new American Express uh, lounge in there, mm-hmm. and that was real. That was really nice. That and and the food was good. And normally, I I'm pretty picky about uh being health conscious and fasting when i fly and all of that mm-hmm. but uh i woke up in the morning and said well this looks like a darn good breakfast and i went for it it was great i, I would tell you those those uh american express centurion lounges which uh, which you get access to with the uh, platinum card they they are by and far they are phenomenal um they're you, you just wish there were more of them and i've been to i've been to all of them, except I think there's one in Seattle. Actually, I haven't been to San Francisco. I've never been to Seattle, but um, but Dallas, Vegas, Miami, um, and LaGuardia, <clears throat> I've been into. And you're right, it's it's great food, um, a great bar, and uh, and free. And so it's I, no, I love those. They're great. God, especially if you're in LaGuardia, those other airports I don't think are too bad. But LaGuardia, that can be the pits at times. <laughs> Yeah. Although I will tell you, my um, my daughter was flying uh, flying from New York to uh, to Chicago, and she was actually on Southwest Airlines because uh, that's just what worked for her. And and I, and that was the first time she had been to LaGuardia. I was like, okay, look, this is going to be a real dump. This is going to be really bad. And she's like, no, you know, Dad, it's really. And I'm talking to her on the phone, you know, it's really not that bad here. I don't, you know, what are you talking about? And I, and then I thought to myself, wait a minute. And I looked it up, and and Southwest, uh, Southwest and Air Canada were the first airlines to fly into the uh, the renovated, the new renovated concourse in Terminal B. So it wasn't the leaking, you know, third, <laughs> you know, sub third world airport that the rest of us have uh, right have, uh, have dealt with. She was like in brand new. It, I think it had opened two weeks prior. And she was she's like, no, this is pretty good. She's like, a couple of bougie bars, and huh. I'm, I'm kind of liking this. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, good, good to know. You said Southwest to LaGuardia, and, and who else? Uh, Air Canada. And oh, Air Canada. I, yeah, and then um, and some of the major airlines are going to start moving in there, I think, this summer as they open some more of the, uh, as they, as they open some more of the new concourses. That's great. Yeah, Air Canada, they... They can do it right that Toronto, I think Toronto has an American Express. I don't know if it's Centurion Lounge, but yeah. I think their whole section is sponsored by American oh. Express, that whole Air Canada area. That was really nice. Oh, cool. Yeah, cool. pretty uh, pretty good. Okay, we'll, we'll pick up the we'll, – I promise yeah. I'll make this rapid pace. Uh, your favorite <laughs> international airport. Wow. Um, you know, so everybody will go for, like, Singapore – um, which I do like, and and if you've got a long layover in Sing, it's a uh, it's it's a good airport. Um, I, I used to actually I when I first traveled, and this would be when I first traveled internationally, and this was like the late '80s. Um, I loved Heathrow. Uh, now Heathrow is a complete train wreck. Um, it's just it's a complete mess, and I and I avoid it as much as possible. Um, but I was I flew through. Vienna Airport, and uh, a couple of years ago, and I really enjoyed that. I thought, "Wow, I, hmm. this is just—it was a nice small airport, and I really enjoyed it." Beautiful sounds uh, sounds good. And uh, how about a favorite booking website? What's your go-to? Um, I, actually, I will tend to book on the. Um, 
I will tend to book on the uh, on the um, on the actual airline flights on, on the airline websites because then if something goes wrong, they, it's kind of like they own the ticket. I'm not having to go around. I'm not having to go kind of through Expedia to get to the airport. Now, what I will do though, from a search standpoint, so if I separate search from purchasing, um, I'm I'm using Google. I mean, uh, you know, you type in you type into Google like. You know, okay, O'Hare, LaGuardia, you know, one way, type the date, hit the return. And I think the way that uh, it, it, the, the way that they display it and put it up is, uh, is great. And then what I'll tend to do is then go from there and then go to the actual airline site to book it. Um, and, uh, and like I said, then that way, if something goes wrong, I'm working directly with, uh, then the airline owns it and I don't have to try and uh, get through a middleman. That's great. And will you click through when you're on Google Flights? Will you click through so that Google gets, you know, that's how Google earns their commission? Or right. will you start going a private incognito window and then search their website to see if the fare is any different? No, I'll I'll typically click through. I've uh, and I've checked it. I checked it a couple of times, and it would just be the same thing. So okay. I was just like, okay, fine. You know, life is too short. Boom. Right. Go. Right. Cool. And uh, last rapid fire question. Do you have mm-hmm. a favorite uh, travel blogger or publication that you read? Um, you know, not n- nothing that comes to mind. I, I, I go through a broad set. And I, I subscribe to a number of those. Certainly Craig and Linda's uh, Indie Travel Podcast, when that pops up, uh, that's that's always one that I'll, I'll listen to. Uh, Chris Christensen does Amateur Traveler. But I'll tend to go to his more for um, – more if I'm going to go to a specific site. His tends to be more site-specific than sort of travel-specific. But um, but in, instead, I, I just have got kind of an RSS feed of, uh, of you know, of flyer talk and some of the, some of the you know, the points guys and the, and the cranky uh, flyer and some of the, uh, <laughs> some of the, some of the guys who are on, who are in uh, boarding, that boarding area um, site. Uh, I'll just I'll just tend to follow those, but uh, but I pick up more just from an article standpoint. Like I said, I'm again because I'm uh, I'm old school. I, I actually know how to use RSS feeders and Google Reader and now Feedly I use. So <clears throat> so I'm, I'm kind of I'm again kind of old school in that way. I, I forgot that RSS readers even still existed. That's great. <laughs> Excellent. And old and that to me is old school. So that's. Yeah. Uh, yeah, beautiful. Well, and also I wanted to mention to everybody that, again, Craig and Linda have been on uh, our podcast as well as Chris Christensen, so they can check out that. And we'll link up all the uh, links everywhere on under30experiences.com slash blog so people can check out all your resources that you've given us. And uh, Mark, again, you are the host of the Travel Commons podcast. Where can people find you on, online and uh, listen in, get involved with what you're doing and reach out to you? I think, you know, the uh, all, all the usual suspects, I uh, like I said, I, I always tell on my podcast, I tell people, well, you can always go old school and go to the uh, go to the Travel Commons podcast, which is Travel Commons, T-R-A-V-E-L-C-O-M-M-O-N-S. Sometimes I have to spell it out because I don't always articulate it. But, you know, the, that's the website and people can listen to that. Uh, you can can uh, subscribe and listen to the podcast uh, right uh, right there. Either listen on the website or, um, or or subscribe to it through iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Spotify. Um, so there's there's that piece of it as well as always the uh, the usual usual suspects, the usual social media suspects on uh, on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, and Twitter. So pretty. Uh, uh, it's it, but it's all there on the website at travelcommons.com. People can can find it all, and then uh, and then through through their favorite way, they're leaving comments there on the website or whatever social media channel they uh, they prefer. They can ping me and hit me, and and I really appreciate it when people leave comments or send me emails or hit me on Twitter or wherever because it actually then gives me more content <laughs> that I can use for my for the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. It lets it lets people know uh, that there there's a listener base out there and that people are enjoying it or have feedback. I I totally agree. That's great. Absolutely. Very oh, good. No. Well, hey, Mark. Yeah, thank you again. This has been a pleasure. 
Matt, I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I think the uh, I think the temperature, uh, from the look of it, the temperature in in, in uh, Costa Rica is uh, is a heck of a lot better than it is here in Chicago. It's uh, it's actually warmed up over the past couple of days to 32 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. So. Oof. Good for good yeah. for you. Well, let me know if you get down here to Costa Rica or uh, over to Austin, where I spend time in the states. Absolutely, will do. Sounds good. Thanks, Mark. Hey, thank you. Have a have a great weekend. Podcast listeners, are you looking for more free travel content? If so, on the Under Thirty Experiences blog, we have some pretty amazing stuff, including my brand new free guide to solo travel. This thing is a beast. It was my goal to have the best guide to traveling alone on the internet, and I think you're going to love it. So head on over to under30experiences.com. In the top right, you will see the resources section, and on that pull down, you will see the ultimate guide to solo travel. Go check it out.